0: Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Dad! Mom! Dad! Mom! I, I, I was sitting in the living room and our 36-year-old son, Forrest, was yelling from down the hall with that tone of voice that communicates hurry I need something and it's important, not the tone of voice, where it's like, "Help, sprint or somebody's going to die." but the, you know, the one that's kind of tame, he doesn't use the help somebody's going to die one very often. If he does, you take it very seriously. Uh, you know, we all have people in our lives that are scared easily, you know, like in a car, and they you know j- just something normal is happening, and they shoot their hand up and grab, them and then they grab your arm like that and pull and doesn't help you drive. And my mom was like that the first few years I was driving. Um <laughs> But Forrest's voice did communicate urgency without danger. So I got up from my chair and I hurried down the hall. And as I arrived for the third time, he said, Dad, bowl. Now, some of you know where this is going. If you raised or have cared extensively for a toddler, then what I'm about to say won't gross you out. If not, then it may. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, but there's lo- there are much grosser things in the Bible than this, um, what I'm going to tell you. But uh, bowl in our family is a one-word abbreviation for the following sentence. I need someone to bring me a big stainless steel mixing bowl from the kitchen as quickly as possible because someone is about to barf. <laughs> so f- finally understanding dad, bowl... I raced to the kitchen and returned to the hall bathroom with said bowl. I was too late. Karen, our granddaughter, was holding Nathan, our two-year-old, kind of with him facing away from her and her hands under his armpits like this. And um, poor Nathan, as with record numbers this Christmas season, he had the flu. Um, Forrest was standing in front of Nathan um, with his two hands like this completely filled with barf. And I'm actually not sure I've ever been prouder of my son <laughs> than that moment. He was sacrificially loving his son and his wife in a somewhat humiliating manner. Um, one of the deep, deeply fulfilling and encouraging things about this Christmas was just getting to see our two oldest sons being wonderful fathers. It's great. Now, of course, the barf went into the bowl, everyone got cleaned up. Nathan was well 24 hours later. Isn't it great being a baby? Um, He'll never remember that time that his father demonstrated sacrificial love and humiliated himself. But God wastes nothing. This and many other acts of sacrificial love by his dad and mom will will shape him over the years. Would you open a Bible or an app to Romans 12? It's on page 948 in the Pew Bible. We're going to read a lot here, so I encourage you, even when I'm not talking about it, just kind of keep it open for when we get back to it. We're going to start at verse 9. Romans 12, starting at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this is the second of three, a brief series about practical ways that we can become better besties, better best friends Of those closest to us, maybe our spouse or a friend Last week we took some time to kind of look at our motivation um, Why we would want to love others well And the first thing is if we love God then we want to please Him That's just the way love is And the second is if we worship Jesus we want to become like Him That's what it means to worship Him We change gradually in our desires and attitudes Now people get confused and we'll put this on screen again And they think that if you're talking about pleasing God or um, becoming like Jesus, that somehow that has to do with works. And works means keeping some system of rules, either the one in the Old Testament or some other one that that somebody's made up. Uh, Very, very clear from the Reformation, from the New Testament, we are saved by grace alone. But our default opinion is that we have to earn love, that we have to earn salvation, And so we need to be constantly reminded of the gospel, that God loves us just like we are, that he died for us just like we are, that you can't do anything to make him love you more, and Jesus did it all. So we come here every Sunday to remind each other, we're in small groups, we study on our own, because we are so quick to revert to trying to earn something. So believe the gospel. You cannot earn salvation or God's love. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine, no matter how bad you've been, whatever you've done. Receive His forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit, live with God. There's no good reason not to. And remember that even your flawed attempts to please God, they really please Him a lot, give Him great joy. Verse 9 again. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. So last week we looked at how there are three Greek words packed into this little Passage right here. There's agape, which, if you uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's well described there. It's an unconditional commitment. And I was really encouraged at a uh, one of the desserts we had this week. And by the way, please sign up for the desserts. We've got some more this week. They're Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, different ones. You can pick any one. You can sign up out on the patio. Having a lot of fun and great food. Just kind of sharing where we're going this year and answering questions and and so forth. Um, but. Somebody at one of the desserts shared with me, they're actually memorizing 1 Corinthians 13, which for me makes me very excited, and I would urge you to do that. You'll never regret it. Um, another one, word for love is Philadelphia, the idea of brotherly affection, actually appreciating someone about something about someone, and then philostorgoi, which is really that family love, that commitment, that love you have for family members, even when you don't like them. Um, but there is another Greek word for love, eros, which is more about passion, you might even say about infatuation. Um, Remember last week I said that they now have what we call a functional MRI that can show where your brain is firing, where the blood is increased when you're thinking about this or that, and the part of your brain that fires up when you are infatuated, experiencing passion is a completely different part of your brain than agape or philostorgoy or Philadelphia. And what we're trying to do in this series is to cultivate long-lasting love because infatuation and passion, they come and go. And when people fail to cultivate long-term, lasting love, they usually end up destroying their closest relationships like marriages. And there are people who are not yet followers of Jesus. I know a bunch of them that, are, that have wonderful long-term love for people, and they have cultivated that without Jesus. But I tell you, in my life, it makes a huge difference that the power of the Holy Spirit is there to help me in some of the ways we'll talk about today, uh, just to not shipwreck my life by relying on infatuation rather than developing and cultivating long-term love. So I highly, highly recommend that because when that passion when that infatuation is gone, you typically will then begin to feel irritation or disappointment or impatient, anger, maybe even resentment, which we're talking about today. And so you need God's power to get through that. And if you're struggling with any of those things, there are some practic- there's some practical help for you today. Again at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, in the professional football, what weekend is this? Playoff weekend. There are four games, eight teams, two playing yesterday, two playing today, and that will whittle it down to four teams who will play next week, which will whittle it down to two for the Super Bowl two weeks later, three weeks from today. And as Abby said, um, you can come here and you'll still be fine. Um, and one of the, what, what happens when the, these playoff games are going on, the commentators are making um, they're praising different athletes. Oh, that's this, this, this wide receiver uh, got more yards than anybody else except for one wide receiver or this quarterback, best quarterback in the history of the game or whatever they might say. They show honor to these amazing athletes by praising them. Now in the New Testament, even though it's clear that all of us are sinners who fail to earn God's salvation, we see many instances where people are praised Praised by people, even praised by God. The Apostle Paul is probably the greatest example. Over a dozen times, probably more like 15, 16, 17 times, depending on how you look at it. He praises people in his letters, often near the end. I'm going to put just three of the instances up on screen for you. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches. Of the of the Gentiles are grateful to them. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Now, the reason I mention that is because you you sometimes run into people say, "Oh no, you should never praise anybody. That's not biblical." Paul did it all the time. You praise people for the right things, and if they're you know, realize they're a sinner, they're not going to get a big head. Similarly, Jesus praises Nathaniel, one of the disciples. When he meets him, he says, here is an Israelite without guile or with integrity. And when he talks to Peter and says, this is the rock upon which I will build my church, he's praising them. He's praising their attitudes and their character. Jesus told a parable in which an important rich man went on a long journey. And so what he did was he entrusted some of his resources to three of his servants. He gave five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to a third. Now, just to remember, a talent was about 93 pounds. It was often gold, sometimes silver. So if he was giving a, a five talents of gold, that would have been about $2 million if he was giving um, or so it was about $2 million, $800,000, and $400,000. So we're talking about a lot of money. And The important rich man goes away for a long time. When he returns, he holds each servant accountable for what they did with the talents he had entrusted to them in his absence. Now the first two, they doubled the money by investing it. And so he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. He praises them and he puts them in charge of more opportunities. And the third one just hides it and that person is rebuked. And again, Financial Peace University is a great way to come and learn how to, be, to please God both with how you spend your money and how you earn your money and how you give your money, so I highly recommend that. But in the New Testament, there are various examples of Paul and Jesus praising people when they demonstrate good qualities. Now, I'm going to suggest two relationship... Uh, I'm going to give you two suggestions about how to improve relationships today. And and I generally believe it's wiser if you just pick one. Don't try and do them both. Maybe just do one for the entire series or or for months to come because if you focus, you'll tend to experience more transformation. So I'm going to describe how I often do this and how I've trained others to do this. And when people actually put this principle, this first one, into practice, it not only encourages the people that they talk to, but it kind of changes the way they, they look at things and their perspective and encourages their heart as well. So there's a great deal to be gained by this if you do it. And this first one's easier than the second one. And that is to develop the ministry of encouragement in your life, especially as we're focusing on your best friend or your spouse. And there are three things that I would ask you to do. We'll put them up on screen. First, you notice something good that they say or do. And then you tell them specifically what you observe them say or do and that you appreciated it. And then you tell them the positive character quality that they, that they demonstrate, And that's a little different than in football. They're just saying, hey, they accomplished something. For us as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity when, when we're praising someone to connect it to our value system of character, of being loving and encouraging. And so you can do things like, you know, you see a friend helping an elderly man that's having trouble into a car and you say, That was very kind of you. You've just connected it to kindness. Uh, You notice your spouse doing the dishes. You say, thank you for washing the dishes. I'm often impressed by the way you're such a servant to all of us. You help us in practical, loving ways. You'll notice this doesn't have to take very long. And usually it's better done in private and it takes less than half a minute. But it just needs to be sincere and connected to some character quality. You might notice a friend who gets a bad grade in a test. And you say, I noticed how you responded to that bad grade and I know you were disappointed, but the way you were so peaceful really helps me to trust God. So you're connecting to these things. Um, it is appropriate at times just to you know, praise performance like, oh, he rushed for 150 yards. That's, that's appropriate at times. But if you can connect it to a character quality, you will help this person understand what's really important and you will also reinforce it in your own life. Now, if you're struggling to figure out, well, what character quality could I, could I connect that with? You can always just default to the uh, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And probably whatever they did, you can connect it with one of those. There are many more in the New Testament as well. So would you like to encourage someone that you love? Maybe your best friend, maybe your spouse. Then value character more than performance and increase both your love for them and their heart's encouragement by every day seeing them, figuring out something that they did that was good and praising them for it and see what that, see what happens. Do that for maybe a couple of months and let me know how it goes. It might be that you, that's all you're going to do from this series. That would be wonderful just to do something. Okay, back to Romans 12. We'll go to our second suggestion. Starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conce- conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to bless those who are hurting us. What did Jesus do? He came to earth, and instead of destroying his enemies who were hurting the people he loved, he died in their place. So that they could be forgiven and become part of his family. What is one of the best ways to ever overcome evil with good? By forgiving the people that do evil to you. Sometimes it's people close to you. Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant. A king called his servants to appear before him to settle accounts. One servant owed 10,000 talents. Again, talent weighs about 93 pounds. about $20 billion worth. And... Um, the king wouldn't really have loaned a servant that amount of money, but it's a parable that Jesus is trying to make a point. It represents the sins of, this, of us against God. The servant falls on his knee, knees pleading to be forgiven. The king forgives him everything, but as he's leaving the king's presence, a servant who owes him about three or four months' wages comes and he grabs him by the neck, and even though he pleads with him, he won't forgive him. When the king finds out, he says, well, then you're not forgiven either, and throws him in jail. Jesus' point is that compared to our sins against God, which are like a pile of 20 billion, anyone else's sin against us, it may be significant. I mean, it's significant a few months' wages, but it really doesn't compare. So if we've experienced God's forgiveness and the Holy Spirit in us, we will forgive other people. We prayed the Lord's Prayer a few minutes ago, and what is the phrase in there? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The only commentary Jesus makes In Matthew 6 after teaching that the disciples is for if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father also will forgive you But if you do not forgive men their trespasses Neither will your father forgive your trespasses again. Are we getting into works? No, it's quite simply that cause and effect If you have experienced God's grace and the Holy Spirit in you The effect will be that you will extend that grace to others. It may take you a little while You may have to process it. It's helpful if they ask forgiveness, but you will extend it because it's what you've received and it just doesn't compare to what you've been forgiven. If you're not forgiving someone, then that's a really bad sign. In your closest relationships, wouldn't it be wonderful if you forgave faster? Wouldn't that be a delightful thing in your relationship either with your spouse or your best friends if not superficially but from the heart you were characterized as someone who's quick to forgive. Now, this series is about becoming a better best friend or spouse. How does that apply? 1 Corinthians 13 from last week, it, meaning love, does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Resentful is another word for bitterness or not forgiving. Love is not resentful. Love forgives. Many years ago, uh, Janice and I went on vacation. Our kids were little. We went on vacation with another family. <laughs> And in this case, the, the wife was constantly finding fault with her husband over the smallest of things, and they'd, then he'd react, and they'd yell at each other, and it was obvious that their resentment toward each other had built over the years, and it was really uncomfortable and just ruined the vacation. And a couple years later, he had an affair, and they got divorced. For long-term love to flourish, you need to become someone who forgives, preferably quickly. Quickly who passes on the grace they've received from God to the people around them. It helps if they ask forgiveness, but even if they don't. Now, this is especially true with your best friend or spouse. We need the gospel to permeate our hearts and for supernatural help and forgiving often. But is there anything that you can do to cooperate with this supernatural work of God inside of you? Yes, there is. We'll put up just two very simple things. Become more aware of just how much you've been forgiven so that you're really grateful and relieved at how much God has forgiven you. It's like this pile of 10,093-pound bars of gold compared to a few months' wages of someone else. And then compare your sins against God to the others that sin against you. You know, most people, they minimize what they do wrong, don't they? Oh yeah, I, that's just kind of normal stuff, but you. Jesus is telling us our sins against God are like that huge mountain of 10,000 talents. No comparison to what others do, do to us. So focus more on what you've been forgiven and this will increase your gratitude and relief and it helps put other people's sins against you into perspective. I actually recommend that you make an extensive list of your thoughts and words and deeds that offend God. That aren't loving. And then go ahead and make a list of what somebody else has done to you, especially somebody close to you. It's just not gonna compare. Why would you why would you want to hold that again? Why would you want to drag around the ball and chain of not forgiving someone? All it does is hurt you. You want to become quick to forgive. And you do all of this prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit both to help you understand the gospel and how much you've been forgiven and also to supernaturally help you to forgive those, because sometimes it's hard. I've seen marriages where one spouse will say something mean to the other or insensitive and not something awful, and just, you know, the offended party goes into kind of lockdown or crisis or silence for a week. We want to become more like Jesus. Does he take a week to forgive you when you ask for forgiveness? Now, we should ask. Again, even if they don't, good to forgive. Become someone who takes their own sin against God seriously and then realize, did you know that God is happy to forgive you? He's not sitting there going, well, I'm going to take a week. He's happy. He wants to get the relationship back on track, and that's what we want to do. We want to become more like Jesus and be happy to forgive people. Why would we want to drag that around? What if last Thursday... I told you I'd been assaulted in another city. And somebody had taken a sharp knife and they just cut me right through the shirt, almost to the bone here. And, and I was here today and my shirt was still cut and it was dried blood and it was kind of you know infected and everything. And I'm telling you about how they hurt me and I take my finger and I go, oh, they hurt me, oh, it's awful. You'd all leave thinking I was crazy. Because it would be crazy. Nobody does that. What do you do when you get hurt? You go and get you know, disinfectant and maybe an antibiotic. You get it stitched up and you get better. Do you do that spiritually? Do you lie in bed at night and take your finger and stick it in the injury in your heart and go, oh, they betrayed me. Oh, they said something mean. Oh, they bad-mouthed me. What is the upside of that? Go to Jesus, the great physician, and just turn over to him. It's... Significant, but it doesn't compare to what you've been forgiven. There's just no there's no reason to keep doing that. Get the help you need, and heal. So I hope you'll choose this week either something from last week or one of these two things, and um, impl- apply them these relationship principles either by becoming more encouraging, or by becoming quicker to forgive. Dad Bowl. Now, if you had known Forrest as a boy or as a teenager, you would have, you would not have guessed that one day he would be humbly catching barf in his hands. I am so proud of him. See, love is self-sacrificing, sometimes even in ways that we might consider to be humiliating. That's what Jesus did. He was tortured and killed in one of the most humiliating ways ever designed. He's not yelling down the hall for you to come, but he is is calling to you to come. He's saying, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's saying, come. Don't, Don't carry your sins around. Let me forgive them. Don't keep being bitter toward other people let me help you forgive them too let me fill you with your spirit and begin to transform you see why would you not want to believe in a God who is fixing this broken world and loves you so much that he's offering to fix you too and if you're honest with yourself unless you keep on minimizing your own sins then you realize you do need you do need fixing And for those of you who are already followers of Jesus, I hope you'll follow him this week in your closest relationships, either demonstrating self-sacrificing love by focusing on the good things they're doing and encouraging them, or by forgiving them quickly. I hope you'll do that. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your best friend or spouse was giving you encouraging words every day? They noticed something that you do and they encouraged you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your best friend or spouse, when you offend them because you will, was quick to forgive? Be filled with God's Spirit that you may have all the supernatural power you need to encourage, to forgive to remember the gospel every day, how much God loves you, how much pleasure you give him, even in your flawed attempts, and how much he has forgiven you that you might pass on that forgiveness to others. God bless you. May he fill you with all the power you need. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.